A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to the Bradley Wiggins Show by Eurosport. Stage six of the Tour de France today, 191 kilometers from Latille to Mont Aguel. Brad and Dan, Dan Lloyd joining us. Dan, hello. Here, before we get into it, chaps, here is how Carlton called it for us on Eurosport. Oh, there it is. Road bare chested. He may as well have beaten his chest as well, because today he's beaten everybody. <laughs> Waves back to his team, a roaring congratulations over the radio. Thought about having a drink in celebration. Well, he'll have one of those tonight. All credit to him. Lutenko has been a Grand Tour winner before in the Welter back in 2017. That was up a steep ramp to finish. He finished everyone off there, and he's done so again. Absolutely superb run great win by design he has done it brad alexi lutsenko taking it for astana this afternoon mm. um it was a uh, i mean fortunately we saw a breakaway today a much more interesting stage to get stuck into this evening as a result what did you make of it um it started to resemble to the france stage really the first few days i don't know whether it's because of the timing time of year or what it almost had a, a different feel about the race, you know, like you're watching the Paris-Nice or something like that. But today, you know, aside from the finish, which resembled kind of a welter stage finish because of the lack of people up there, it was, you know, that probably Ineos on the front, really doing what they do best um, and marking their territory and, and making a statement of intent again, which they haven't done for, for the first few days, which I, I noted and picked up on. But yesterday, Luke Rowe and the boys, you know, in that little crosswind section 10Ks ago, bringing them up there. And then today, you know, really kind of just getting on the front we're here, we're here to win this race. And and Yumbo and the like letting them do that and sitting behind him. And that that it was like um the hierarchy of the of the of the Peloton seemed to sort of take it sort of proper formation, if that's the right way of putting it today. Um it, it it's you know, they're the team to beat and still, although we keep saying how much Yumbo Visma are here to win this race, Ineos are part of the fabric of this race, really. And I think that was um it was actually quite good to see, you know, and that's very much a Dave Brailsford tactic is you know, Dave uses words like exact remember I can remember, see his exact words now of how he would have described the team and the way they were riding was what he used to say was, We're just dithering a bit, we're dithering, and we need to just stamp our authority a bit more. And that's not about winning races or this just just get on the front and show the rest of the peloton that we're here and we're here to win the race. And that's what they did yesterday and they did today. And that was, um, it was good to see actually. A, a much more familiar stage in several ways, Dan. It was, yeah. Although it didn't lead to anything, did it, from uh, that last climb. I wonder if we were expecting a bit too much sometimes from some of these stages because you forget it's still the first week of the tour. It just happens to be hillier than it is normally. So it looked like a big climb, looked like a big test, but we had, a, we had a, an attack from Fabio Aru uh, which didn't come to very much. Uh, but apart from that, we didn't see anything behind except for Philippe trying to spring a surprise to take a few seconds there at the end. Um, and Lutsenko made it look easy in the end. 55 seconds he had uh, on, uh, on second yeah, place. I mean, 
when their Mastana guys win like that, they always remind me of Vinokurov. You know, they all sort of look the same on his bike, exactly how he used to ride. Very attacking, kind of punchy riders, you know, that just grind away. And, you know, it's, um, you almost, I wouldn't say forget the name of the person, but they, they, they could all be one rider. You know, they've got so many good riders like that that just pop up and win stages here and there. And um, they ride very different to when Jakob Forshang's there. Jakob really commands that leadership through his presence, the way he rides, and he's a, he's a, he's a real leader, Jakob. And um, when he's not there, they're almost like a team without a cause, even though they've got Lopez there. But Lopez is he's very unpredictable, and he kind of blows hot and cold, and one minute he's up the road, one minute he's not. And it does seem like they have a, sort of a lack of faith in him almost a little bit. Um, and, and he's created that lack of faith by the way he's been running the last sort of couple of grand tours. But he'll pop up every now and again and have a big performance. But, you know, they, they're another team now. They've got success in the bag. One stage win changes the whole success of a team in this Tour de France. And Cofidis, again, when I saw the Cofidis guy come up, finished second again. They're still a team without a win in the Tour de France since, I think, 2008, since Sylvain Chavanel. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's funny how the Tour de France works. You know, this first week, um, lots of people trying to pick up stage wins and things. But... Sean called it yesterday. He thought a break would go to the finish. I didn't think it would because I thought people are too on it at the moment. But the way the stage was yesterday where no one wanted to go to the break, which is contrary to, contrary to what I was talking about in the podcast, just about, about it being seen like a, a, um, as a victory when you're in the breakaway. You know, and, and when I talked about the solo win... No one wanted to go up the road yesterday. And the break seemed to go quite easy this morning well. As well. I was just about to say to you the Even opposite, though the quality... Actually. Yeah, it started on a climb... So Nico Roach just drilled it straight away mm. and De Ghent behind him, just he was trying to drag and get rid of the rest of the bunch behind. It didn't work. But I think, although it went away quickly, I'd say actually it was probably quite difficult to get into that yeah. break just based on the, yeah. on the yeah. power of the riders that were in it in the end. Or everyone was representative that they didn't need to... It seems like there's a hesitance in... in because, I, mean, I, you, you, I mean, you've done the tour as well, Dan. Some days it would go for two hours before the break would establish... Um, and in those days, when I did it, they didn't have TV coverage from start to finish. So no. I remember one stage uh, in 2010 where we were literally attacking for two hours. I think I'd got more than 100Ks on the clock before yeah. the break went, or at least 90. And then the break went just before live TV started. And so by that point, the break had got two minutes and we were all just cruising around at the back. And so you hadn't seen that sort of first 100Ks of attacking and how crazy it had been up to that point. Um, which you do get to see now, but equally you then get to see yesterday's stage where absolutely nothing happens at all. Yeah. Greg Van Avermaet in third today in orange um, to round out the podium, uh, but it's the man in yellow uh, that I'd like us to talk about, Adam Yates. He's not getting that much media attention, is he, by comparison? Well, I don't know. Again, that's another thing. It's because I'm with, like my son's at school now again, so he's kind of watching the tour on his phone you know, when he can during breaks and lessons and stuff, whereas he's normally all of July at home and he can watch it, you know, from start to finish. And I guess, I don't know if a lot of, I was asking some of, some of the French people the other day whether, you know, France has gone back to work now, the, ho the end of the holiday season. And I don't know if people know the Tour de France is on in the UK as much as we normally do. And I, it's it's a funny thing. It's, I think it's, it's, it's because of the year we've had um, with the COVID and that. And I, I don't know if that adds to it as well. But obviously there was, you said he was on the 10 o'clock news last night. Um, the press were obviously aware of it. But I don't know if we've just become accustomed now to British success. And we spoke to Aura about it, didn't we, in the post-show? And she was saying maybe it's something to do with personality as well, is that those two, because obviously his brother won the Volta last year, and that kind of went unnoticed, is they don't command the, the, the sort of media attention by nature of the fact they're in an Australian team. They live in Andorra, I think it is. Yeah. and um, But they're still 
very much down to earth, bury bury lads at heart, at heart. You know, I think it's a it's a multitude of factors, isn't it? It's but even fact- Adam didn't like go. I realise what I've got on my shoulders here. This is the yellow. No, but as you said, it's not the way he you just wanted did to take his usual, it. Was it? Yeah, and it was really good. And, uh, I had a tough stage today, and it was nice, and uh, it was all. <laughs> I don't know, it just that's the way they conduct themselves, and I love it. I just think it's it's just so level headed and you know grounded. I've oh, got four things, haven't you? I think I'm only going to be able to remember three right now, though. You've got the, what you've already talked about, the fact that it's on at a different time of year. You've got the fact that he took it by default because somebody else got a penalty. Um, and you've got the fact that we've had so much success in the race from British riders, starting with Brad eight years ago. And I think all of those factors put together mean that there's you know, perhaps not quite as much publicity, etc., as we might expect normally. Is another factor that the fact that he didn't come through the British system, came through the French system? Quite possibly, yeah. He rode for my old, old team, actually. In fact, Adam... Um, Chris Andre, his name was the guy at this UVCR Twilight that he, he rode for. In fact, I think he was with CCR Toupe after that. And um, but anyway, regardless, he had the same manager I did when I was amateur in France, and he ran me up saying about this this lad that was really good and could I help him to get into a team. So I spoke to Adam and I spoke to to Jonathan Vorters, who'd been my team manager the year or a few years previous. And um, but yeah, in the end, you know, didn't happen for him there. But he got his contract with Simon at, um, at Orica Green Edge or whatever it was at, at the time. But you know, I think we were saying earlier that that they wanted at Sky to to take on Simon Yates to the team, uh, but didn't want to take on Adam, ironically, uh, when they were first both turning pro. But they wanted to stick together, which is why they ended up with the Australian squad. And now they've ended up with, with Adam, but not Simon. Yeah, and Simon can't go there, can he? No. No. Well, he's, Simon signed a new contract, hasn't he? Yeah, I think, because you know, Simon had that positive the, test, yeah. didn't he, for the, uh, for the inhaler that the doctor didn't write the... Mm. Um, the form for under the UCI stuff. So he's now unable to go to, to Ineos because of their stance on, on any kind of positive test. But if you speak to a lot of the riders that grew up with Adam and Simon, um, particularly the young guys that were at Sky, Josh Edmondson and the like, they all said that Adam was the better of the two, by far and away more talented and, and would achieve more. And for some reason, it's been Simon that has done that so far. But I think, you know... That's not, I mean, Adam's finished fourth in the Tour de France. It's sort of funny to think, isn't it? We're talking about him, that he's not achieved as much as Simon. That just shows the level of what they have achieved together. But I think there's big things for Simon to come in the next few years. It's quite amazing how different their route to the pro ranks was, considering their Well, twins, Simon was, was on the track. He was world points race yeah, champion, wasn't he? The other one yeah. with the traditional method, yeah. Adam going to France and making it that way. Yeah. But, uh, well, they both ended up in similar places. Uh, GC remains the same then as does the race for the green jersey. Uh, we saw Sam Bennett take full points on the intermediate sprints. Good to see him still in green. Well, you know, there's a big buzz around Ireland and of course, that I think, <laughs> as Sean would say yesterday. But there is, there's a huge buzz and it's um, it's brilliant to see. I mean, it's, um, you know, when Ireland gets success in anything, there's always a good fanfare that go with it. You know, particularly remember the Euros a few years ago in football. And, and I think, you know, to see Sean talk about Sam in the way he does... Um, and really, Sean really enjoying watching him. He's really do that. happy, isn't he? Yeah, great. you know, and it just—it's quite nice actually. I watched Sean a lot yesterday when he was talking about Sam, and you know, he um, he called a few things, you know, didn't he straight away during the stage that, you know, that he might take his eye off the stage now. He's got green because he had a similar mm. position, and he's almost sort of can be a little bit critical of Sam, but in a lovely, almost fatherly way because he's in a way that if if he just sought this out, he could win this and he could do that. And it, whenever he's sort of critical of of Sam, it's it's because he sees so much of him in it, and he knows how much he's c- capable of achieving. So he almost gets frustrated, like you know, oh, you know, he shouldn't do this, but if he just did this, then he could do everything, you know. And it's, there's a frustration with it. It's, he's not getting enjoyment out of criticizing him, if that makes sense. He's, it's it's a real 
lovely to watch uh, and um, that sort of change of the baton, really, because they couldn't be more similar, could they? No. They're both from Carrick. It's far as the side of the river, apparently. Yeah. On sprinters, tomorrow stage seven, Milau to Lavore. One for the sprinters again. Um, um, and it's Cav won there in 2011. So. Where Cav took green for the first time since yeah. 2009. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Cav won the green jersey that year, didn't he? He did. Um, we were talking about how much the green jersey competitions changed because the person he took it from was Joaquin Rodriguez, climber. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they changed the point system, didn't they, to make, yeah. uh, to make it more you know, biased towards sprinters so that they take it home at the end. And then Sagan came along and didn't really matter, you know, had they changed the points or not, he probably would have still won the the, yeah. uh, the seven green jerseys he's got. Who are you expecting to see? So are you expect, are we expecting Bennett to, to cap his green jersey with a stage win tomorrow? Yeah. Or are we expecting to see more from Kevin I think Ewan? Bennett would have got used to the fact he's in green now and kind of that monkey's off his back and the kind of the, the honeymoon period's over with it. They don't have yellow, and I think he'll be able to concentrate on the stage now. Um, and I, th I think he'll, um, I think he'll get the win tomorrow. Um, Caleb, I don't know. He, he sort of, um, he's got his stage now, and I don't know if that hunger always is there. But I, th I think it'll be between them two. Yeah, I don't think Bennett's been quite. I know it sounds strange being that he's in the green jersey, but he doesn't seem to me this year quite as quite as good as he was with Bora last year. He's been he's been beaten fairly regularly since uh, mm. since racing resumed. Even though he's always been you know second third places etc. But he's been beaten fairly consistently after he started back up. You know, I'd love to see him win, but for me tomorrow I'm going to go for you. And I'd also love to see Case Bowl win after the lead out Sunweb have been doing. They just oh, yeah. feels like they deserve to have it uh, finished off now. I'll tell you one man that is like void in this Tour de France who we spoke about a lot last is Elio Viviani. Mm. He's just disappeared off the face of the planet, is he? And ironically, so, it feels like Coffey's might well win a stage this year, doesn't it? But not yeah, but with not him. with him. No, no. Well, they keep talking about how difficult his lockdown was because he was in the part of Italy where he wasn't even allowed mm. to be on his turbo train, yeah, on his I mean, balcony. You he that, had to be you? indoors yeah. the entire time. Yeah, I suppose so, you can't underestimate the effect it had on different people. Yeah, yeah. Amazing how um, how quickly we all move on. All right. Well, look, we look forward to seeing how that turns out tomorrow. Dan, Brad, thanks so much Thank you, for your thoughts. Thanks very much. How are the owls? The owls are good. I heard you lost one the other day, Jeff. Oh, yeah, it's a very, very sad day for us. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. <laughs> got eaten off by a rabbit. So it's a bit wet for them to be out today. It's it is very too, wet. Too wet to wet. woo. Well, send my best anyway. Yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> that was very good, Graham. Got Thank that. You. Yeah. Uh, all right. <laughs> That's it for this episode of the Bradley Wigan Show. We will see you tomorrow. And Brad, we've got a little bonus for you. Here's all this chat with Annemiek van Vluten. Annemiek, we currently have the men's Tour de France and we now understand that we will have a women's tour of sorts in 2022. What do you think of the, the announcement or, or what we know of it so far? Yeah, super exciting. I was very happy to hear the news. Um, I only say like the Tour de France for women would, is not the holy grail for women cycling because then we are there. No, I think also the, it's really good that we have also the, the monuments, for example, organized for women. But yeah, for sure, I, I'm super happy with it. And I think also a good move to when they decided to start it on the last day of the men, when the men finished. So I think, yeah, that's a, it's really good to have it like continuing. People say that, that a women's Tour de France is long overdue. Is that what you think? Or do you think it's just the right time for it right now? I think it's the right time. Like we're stepping up. You see more and more girls get professional, more and more more girls get also paid professional. So this will, uh, will be a big step with uh, um, the women's tour that's now, uh, that's now there with the rules that uh, yeah, girls need to get paid, which is my, was the highest for me on the wish list that 
Maar de whole peloton wil die can be full-time professional. And this will be a super boost, I think, to get women cycling more professional. And I think also to start with a 10-day uh, Tour de France, not a three-week one, is a good step. Maybe we can make it longer uh, in some years, but for now it's like 10 days is awesome. People are starting to realize more than ever how exciting women's racing is. We do have more of a platform and exposure for the sport. What kind of health do you think it's in at the moment? Yeah, it's an up. Um, I think uh, even with the COVID period, I'm quite surprised that this, uh, I heard news about new teams starting. Um, um, it sounds like that wind cycling is so on the on the way up that uh, even COVID is not letting us down, letting the women cycling down. And uh, I think also our, we had some quite exciting races. Also, all our races apart from the Spanish one were on television, so had a lot of uh, friends and. And people also that commented uh, that they were really happy to follow it. So I think there's also a really good boost this year. And I want to add, like, it's a lot about um, that we want to have equal wages. But that's not my point. My point is that I want for every girl in the peloton, I want a minimum wage organized. So um, let's make it more equal. And that will have the biggest boost, I think, to give everyone a chance to be a full-time professional. And that's, that's really high on my wish list. Yeah, give everyone a good chance. We've seen the most incredible women's racing since the restart of the season, as we have for the last couple of years. Do you think that a women's Tour de France would, would give the platform to the sport that it deserves right now? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think it's really ready that, at least in, uh, in um, France, we, we didn't have any really big stage race anymore. So I think yeah, Tour de France is yeah, exciting for women. And I'm super happy that I will continue until 2022. And so I will be able to race there. Would you like to see it eventually get to three weeks, Annemie? Because that's something you think that the, the sport is ready for. Uh, not at the moment, I think. So I think for the moment, the 10 days is uh, really exciting, really good and really challenging. Um, but yeah, we know from the future, like uh, 10 years ago, I would also not... I uh, didn't expect to be um, in a women's peloton like this professional level uh, if I look back 10 years ago. So, uh, yeah, who knows? So what about you then, Annemiek? Exciting times ahead um, for you. And so I'm presuming with, with any change comes more like fresh ambition and, and, a, and a desire to do things even better. And I'm wondering how you can do that when already... Your training is another level compared to the rest of the peloton. You've already been winning more than even you've ever done before. What more can you achieve? What more can you do? Yeah, for me, it's a continuously um, to look like where can I improve? Um, and for sure, with the years, the, the things I can improve are getting smaller. Um, but I'm still hungry. And it makes me also hungry that I still see small details that I can improve. Um, also, uh, signing with a new team is a new challenge and usually will give me new energy. So that's also maybe an important one of that, that like after five great years with Mrs. and Scott, um, it, will say, it will be for me hard, really hard to say goodbye because I really, really like it there in my team. But um, yeah, I hope um, with my new team, um, it will give me uh, also en new energy and yeah, also a new, new bike to ride on. So uh, they're quite good with... Um, um, uh, they, they have a plan with me to make me even faster on that bike. So that's still those small details. Uh, yeah, keeps me hungry. And people talk sometimes about my age, but I'm always a bit, little bit tired about the age because I don't, I don't think about stopping. I'm only thinking about improving myself. 
improving and keeping winning, what are the big targets for you in the next few years? No, target is not to keep winning. Really, my target is to keep on improving myself. And then the winning is the bonus. Um, but what me, keeps me really happy is that I can still see that I improve. Um, yeah, for sure, the big target next year, hopefully, we have the Timp Tokyo Olympic Games. Uh, I never won Amstel Gold Race. I never won Flash Wallon, for example. I would love to win Flanders again. But um, happy we can also, I can also still start this with this, uh, with my team this year because we still have them on the calendar. And uh, hopefully, fingers crossed, uh, I, can, uh, I can go for that. You're sitting talking to me in the rainbow band. Um, we understand there will be a World Championships this year. What do you make of that? Yeah, exciting. Um, I hope this today the news will be uh, announced where it will be held. Um, I was very happy to hear that they want to make, uh, to organize it on a similar course they had um, in, uh, that, yeah had organized would have been organized in Martigny. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's my biggest goal I think for this uh, autumn together with the Giro Rosa. So um, yeah, I can't wait to see the course and um, yeah to race there. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.